We will be looking at Acts 26. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles. I'll read a portion of it. We, I'm going to try to cover, well, I will cover the whole chapter today in Acts 26. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, I just pray that you give us wisdom and, and guidance as we study your written word from many, many years ago. I pray that you reveal the secrets hidden in it to us, Lord. That we leave with a measure of maturity that we didn't have. And I pray that you guide my mouth and I pray that you give us all ears to hear what your word speaks to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? You may be seated. Again, we've been seeing the, the perils of Paul in this book of Acts. This, is, this will be the fifth time that he gives his defense, his own testimony. Time and time again, he's brought up on charges. And remember, he appealed to Caesar, which he had the right to do as a Roman citizen, so he would be sent to Rome. They had a new ruler, Festus, and he agreed that the predicament Paul was in did qualify him to be sent and his trial heard by Rome, but Festus had a problem. He didn't know what to write when he sent them to Rome. He didn't understand what the Jews were accusing Paul of, and he didn't understand their customs or their controversies, as it says. You know, if we go back to Acts 25, it says, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, 
so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So you see, Festus had a problem, but he found the solution in King Agrippa. King Agrippa did understand the Jewish religion. He did understand the controversy of the way of Jesus Christ. He understood the prophecies. See, he was the king, and part of his duties as the king, he was a custodian of the temple. He appointed the high priest. He had to agree with who they nominated for high priests. So he would understand the Jewish religion. He would understand the controversy of the religion as well. He'd understand the difficulty between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And now the people of the way. And Paul would use that to his advantage. He he was glad to be in front of somebody who at least understood the argument. Who understood the points of the argument. It's always hard to argue with somebody if they're too ignorant to even understand the argument. Ignorant in a way that they have no idea what you're talking about. But here Paul knows that his defense... He'll at least be heard. And he'll be able to speak freely without interruption. Isn't that what we all want? To be heard? At least have our side heard? And that's a godly thing. In any trial, in any controversy, there should be witness, counter-witness, and the accused should be able to state their case without censorship. So we'll get going. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourselves. Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. He said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, this is a sincere statement from Paul. Remember, Paul and his companions were shouted down, Great is Artemis of the Athesians. He couldn't be heard. They shouted for two hours. What happened in front of Ananias? Paul was going to give his dissents, and they busted him in the chops. said, no, you're not even going to get to talk. So here Paul, I think he's happy. He's going to be able to at least be heard, give his side of the story. And especially some in the crowd understood not only the customs of the Jews, but the controversies that were going on at that time. What does Paul start with? He relates to them that he's a Jew, not only a Jew, a Pharisee. 
my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest policies of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promises made to God, to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, and they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? What Paul is stating is the obvious. Paul was taught by the greatest teachers in the Jewish nation at that time. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders would know that. They'd know he was a Pharisee. They knew he had zeal. What Paul is saying, you know, I, I was part of these guys. A Pharisee from the conservative side of the group, in fact. He's speaking of the long-awaited Messiah and the hope that they had in the Messiah coming. The resurrection of the dead. Many Jews believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not, but many of the Jews did. So Paul is relating to his audience, especially to King Agrippa. You know, and for us, it's a good lesson We all have prior lives before our conversion. And sometimes we should use that to relate to people that we're witnessing to. Because you see, one common bond we all have is we're all sinners. And even when we're saved, we still sin. That's why we confess our sins. We're better off because our sins are covered. But we still have that common bond among all men. And we should make ourselves vulnerable, as Paul is doing here. Because as he continues on, he tells us, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Why is Paul bringing this up? He's bringing up that he was wrong. He was an enemy of God. Just as all of us were. He was far more enthusiastic about it, even having people put to death. But he opposed Christianity. He was not at peace with God. Paul is making himself vulnerable here. He's telling this crowd. Remember, this crowd is the shakers and the doers of the city. You know, if we go back again to Acts 25, verse 23, 
So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. This was like the OJ trial. Everybody was watching it. Paul was brought in. All these officials are there. And Paul is admitting to them how wrong he was in his prior life before Christ. That's what he's doing. He's relating to those in rebellion with God. We should never hide our prior sins, our prior lives in witnessing. It gives the lost hope. Man, if they can save that guy, I have hope. And it does have an effect. He's played softball, and there's a guy who went to school with me. He was two years ahead of me. And, I mean, this guy was a skilled wretch. I mean, he was into everything. He came to the Lord. And everybody was talking about it. I can't believe Al came to the Lord. I can't believe how he changed. Many non-believers. Again, when we recognize how evil and wicked we were, we are enemies of God and how God changed us, and we make ourselves vulnerable, not like we're these perfect Christians standing on a pedestal condemning everybody, that we walk the same as they did, it gives the lost hope. And isn't that our duty? If God can change me, a wretch like me, he can change you also. And then Paul tells of his conversion. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And we had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may Turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, this is the third time Paul's conversion is given in the book of Acts. Once by a third party, twice by Paul. It shows the importance of it, of making ourselves vulnerable that it is God who calls us and changed us. It is by the working of God who we serve 
You know that it says it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I mentioned this in the past, the ox carts, in the very front of them, they'd put spikes or pricks in front of them because oxen are stubborn animals. They'd pull the carts, and if you had to flick them with a, a stick or a whip, many times they would kick back. And if they didn't have something to protect the carts, and the oxen kept kicking it, they'd destroy the carts. So they'd put spikes right where the oxen would kick. And when they'd kick, they'd jab their foot. And then they'd, some of them would get mad and they'd kick again, jab their foot again. So all they were doing were hurting themselves. I know my uncle used to raise, he had a dairy farm and we'd help feed the calves, the bottle feed the calves. And he just had them in a loose pen. And I had very loving cousins and brothers. They said, oh, you go feed that red one over there. Red heifer, I think it was a red devil, but anyway. So I give it its bottle, and it turns around, and wham, right in the leg. And then you go, oh, by the way, that one kicks. <laughs> so they do kick. They're stubborn, as Paul will attest. Some of them are dumber than a box of rocks, trying to feed them even. But what God is telling Paul here. You're fighting against me, but in reality, you're hurting yourself. Each time you fight against me, you're hurting yourself more. And that's for all the lost. Each time they reject Jesus Christ, they're hurting themselves. They're kicking against God. They're kicking against the pricks, and they're just doing damage to themselves. Paul knew. He learned he was fighting against God, but he also got the point. It's useless. God's going to win. God will win. And the longer we reject him, the longer we push him off to the side, the more damage we do to ourselves. So we continue on. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. You know, Paul was zealous in his religion throughout his whole life. He continued to be zealous in his religion but his religion was now corrected by God to absolute truth. And Paul did serve with zeal according to his calling. Paul never lost his zeal. He just took that zeal and it was used properly now. You know, we studied Paul's faithfulness throughout this book. But notice he speaks of repentance is where the gospel message always must start. Always. It must start with repentance. People must understand their need for a Savior. 
And unfortunately, that many of the churches have lost that in their evangelism. We must use Paul as an example, and we must use the law when we speak to people that they're sinning against God. And Paul continues on, but notice where, who he gives the credit to. Of all his acts, what he said, where he served with zeal all over, to this day I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul is using the truth. The prophets, Moses, the law of God, He's sharing the truths of the scriptures to justify his actions, his calling. Notice Paul does not hold back whether they're high or whether they're low. He witnesses the same to everybody. But he's giving God the credit that it's the Holy Spirit with him. The Holy Spirit walking with him. And when Jesus sends us out, it's the same. We have that Spirit walking with us. And Jesus is just saying, everything pointed to the long-awaited Messiah, and Jesus is here. And the thing is, Agrippa would understand these prophecies, he did understand the controversy between the Jews and the people of the way. And that's what Paul is appealing to. I think Paul is glad he hasn't been interrupted, but that ends. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. You're out of your mind, Paul. You read too much. You understand too much. No, Paul understood the truth and he read about the truth. And when you read about God's truth, when you understand God's truth, there will be controversy, even among other believers. The deeper you get into God and the want God's truths and you want to serve him faithfully. Faithfully. There will be controversy because many people like to take the easy way out and not serve him faithfully, yet say they are his. You know, we live in a time with a pietistic influence where many think Their faith is between God and themselves and it doesn't affect the society. They're wrong. We'll touch that a little later. Paul is not shaken because he knows for certain he is bearing witness to the truth. And that is one thing that we as believers have. We know that God's word is truth. 
And when people knock it down or try to knock us down, we're not shaken by it. That's the working of the Holy Spirit. We don't question God's truths. There's many so-called experts that try to criticize it. Many experts are just misled sinners. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. True and rational. Or we could say rational because it's divine truth. We do not have a blind faith. We have an evidential faith. History, archaeology, prophecy, the world around us declares the glory of God. We have an evidential faith. Many of these experts said, oh, a lot of these kings and that or people in the Old Testament never existed. And lo and behold, archaeologists dig up and find records of these kings and people time and time again. The more time goes on, the more the Bible is proven true. History, we have history written about Jesus Christ more than any other person. We have A.D. and B.C. We have an evidential faith. And all these things should reinforce our faith and our belief that we are sure of what is written is true. Our faith was not hidden in a, a corner. Jesus was not hidden in a corner. His works were not hidden in a corner. You know what a blind faith is? Evolution. Oh, there was a big bang. Well, what bang? Well, we don't know. But now everything's here. And uh, over time, a guy climbed out of a mud puddle Lots of time. And lo and behold, a female climbed out of a mud puddle within walking distance and they made it and they had all the parts to make more babies. That's blind faith. That's just plain stupidity. But that's what it boils down to. Ours is an evidential faith. Paul continues on. For the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Christianity has not been done in a corner. Christianity has not been hidden. And for those who take the pietistic view that say, I'm going to to be between God and myself and in the church, and we don't affect the society, they should test their faith. Because that's completely controversial to what God commands us to do, to go make disciples of the nations. 
Our faith is to be open. It is to be shared. It is to be revealed to those around us. You know, wherever Chrissy and I go, we pray before our meals. Restaurants, friends. I have some friends that aren't believers, some that don't even like Christians. We always pray before our meal, and they know it. Whether it's at our house or their house, I don't care. It's a testimony to how much our God means to us. We should never, ever hide our faith. There is times when we must be discerning, just as Paul was. Lord in a basket, he was hidden, he ran. There's times when we must be silent. For the most part, there's times when we must stand up for our God, stand up for our faith, and demonstrate our love for him. It is forbidden for us to hide our faith. Go make disciples of all nations. If you deny me in front of men, I will deny you in front of the Father. People get used to it. Even if they don't like it, they don't, they tolerate. They tolerate the praying before meals. We continue on to verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? I like the King James Version. It says, then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Here we see recorded one of the great tragedies that occurs to men. Agrippa is knowledgeable about Christianity. He's knowledgeable about the way. He's knowledgeable about Jesus. He understands prophecy. He understands the Old Testament. And he's this close to grabbing the greatest prize that any man can grab, salvation. And he hesitates. He will not grab it. Why? We're not told. Why do any men reject that great prize? Self-autonomy, wealth, love of their sin. But it happens time and time again. People who have raised, been raised in the church, people who have heard about Christianity, time and time again, yet they will not grab onto that what a tragedy what a tragedy and Paul is an evangelist he tells us and Paul said whether short or long I would to God that not only you but all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains again Paul has a heart of evangelism and he's saying to all these shakers and doers of the community I pray that all of you repent and become Christians. Lowly men, common man, 
or the long, which mean the kings and the rulers, that God has brought into Paul's life. But Paul, you notice, he never changes the message, whether it's for the lowly, for the kings and the rulers. He sticks true to the gospel, sticks true to repentance. You must repent. There's a coming judgment. He's doing what he has been instructed to do. Share the gospel. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with him. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. You know, even these tyrants, these wicked rulers, are not always completely wicked. Here they're doing and saying just things. They recognize from Paul's testimony, but not only that, his lifestyle, his faithfulness, his demeanor. They're saying, this guy is innocent. We heard all the Jews, all the stuff they've been accusing him of. No witnesses with the back it up. And we hear Paul. He's an innocent man. That's how we must be. That's why it says be as innocent as doves. Stick to the truth. Act out your Christian life. And there'll be times when even the wicked see the goodness in you. It's not guaranteed. There'll be times when the wicked see the goodness in you and hate you even more. But we're called to be faithful irregardless. And this falls in the face of many in the church today, especially the prosperity gospel, or come to Jesus and everything's going to go well for you. Can you imagine Paul sharing that kind of message? Hey, man, just come to Jesus. Everything's going to be great. Hey, wait a minute, Paul. You've been stoned. You've been whipped. You've been beaten. And now you're in chains? And you're telling me that I come to Jesus, everything's going to be great? It will be great because we know our salvation. We have that peace that surpasses all understanding, but whether we're in chains or being persecuted, we honor God and we know that the love of God will never be separated from us. Paul's still in chains. They know he's innocent. They're going to ship him off to Rome. Why? Why? Acts 23.11 The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Saints, you know, we see many actors coming and going as we go through the book of Acts. There is one director in this, and that is God. He is there with Paul, giving him wisdom wisdom and guidance. And when he says Paul will go to Rome, he will end up in Rome. God will use the wicked. He'll use saints. 
He'll use whatever tactic he wants to get his will done in Paul's life. Just as he gets his will done in our lives when we continually submit to him, he will use us mightily. I'm not saying we're going to have an easy life. We may not. But we will have a fulfilled life because we know that we are walking in step with God. And that Holy Spirit is working through us to advance His church. We will have difficulties in this world, I guarantee it. Jesus said, in this world you will have trials, but I have overcome the world. things of this world are important, but not as important as the things beyond and our peace with God. And when we come to that conclusion, we will serve him like Paul, faithfully, in spite of our circumstances. And the lost will take notice. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, as we have seen in the life of Paul, I just pray that we mature to the point that we, are, we stand boldly for you, but wisely and humbly, knowing that we are sinners. And we should show due respect to the leaders, but still proclaim the truth respectfully. And that when men hate us, we must remember they hated you. And we must accept it. Teach us to be such people, Lord, that we gladly share your love in whatever circumstances you set us into. Amen.